It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. It's going to be scary. Not for us. All engine running. Liftoff. on Thompson, steps right, shoots for the win of three. He got it! This ain't my first rodeo. Westbrook to the basket. Turns Schroeder around. Russell Westbrook. House, the three and the lead. You betcha. Covington, biggest shot of the game. And he hits it. The corner, P.J. Tucker. Gordon. Gordon. And the monster slam. Now it's time to you know, accomplish something together that we haven't accomplished before. We both understand that we have one common goal, and that's to win a championship. So <laughs> Let's get it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin. You can find me on Twitter at JT Gatlin. And of course, our show is also on Twitter at Locked on Rockets. And if you appreciate what we do here, do me a favor, subscribe to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, drop us some stars, leave us a review, share the podcast. I would sincerely appreciate all of that. Right now, we will continue our conversation with Rockets Wire editor Ben DuBose. So let's just go ahead and jump straight back into that. So, you know, and kind of after that, you know, the 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 resulting you know championships from those teams. You know, one thing that I haven't gotten to experience, and I didn't even get to experience it when the Astros won the World Series. Unfortunately, is you know the celebrations, you know, citywide, the, these parades, you know, just what is the atmosphere like for those of us who haven't been able to attend one of those, or uh, you know, for people who maybe don't live in Houston, you know, they're listening overseas or in another state, you know, what what's the atmosphere like in a championship parade? I can I'm kind of assuming you probably attended the Rockets championship parades. Did you? One of them, yeah. Of them. Now, okay. granted, I lived in Beaumont, so I was an hour and a half away, so. It wasn't always easy for me logistically to pull it off. We did go to one. Yeah, it's just wild. Uh, and I think back more recently to the Astros in 2017, it's such sheer joy. And, of course, the Astros, there was the additional element because it was just um, a little over two months after Hurricane Harvey. So there was that element to it as well. But for a city like Houston that has not always had – the best sports success and we all kind of have a chip on our shoulder too in that we all know Houston's a major city it's the fourth largest in the United States soon to be third largest I think and yet it doesn't get the appreciation the fixation on it the attention that New York LA even Chicago get so we always sort of have had this chip on our shoulder and yet despite the size of Houston despite the passion of the community for its sports teams we have not had nearly the same success as cities that are smaller. Dallas has the five Super Bowls. Look at how many titles Boston has won. And I don't think, it's certainly not our fault. I think it's just circumstantial. But the reality is, when you have a city that is that starved for a winner, we all know that the passion that people in the Houston area have for this city, it's it's just unbelievable. It's sheer joy. I think back to being downtown it's such a logistical nightmare in that you have 
a million people packed in these tiny streets. You can't get anywhere. Of course, it's hot as all hell. Even the Astros, it was in early November, but it was a day in which it was like 85 degrees, incredibly humid. And of course, sounds like Houston. Yeah. Uh, And of course, the uh, first base coach who ended up almost dying at the time, he had that... um, he had that brain situation at the time. I actually thought it was just heat stroke. And fortunately, they had a really good EMS driver who got them out of the maze of people and congestion to the hospital ended up saving him. Uh, but, but at the time, yeah, they just thought it was heat stroke because it really was that damn hot even and humid even in November. But there's just so much joy. I mean, I hope that at some point in our lives we get to a point where it's like the run that Boston's been on in the last 20 years where not that you don't appreciate it. But it's like, oh, well, it's another title. We're, we're title town. But for Houston, it's not. It is that rare. And so the 2017 Astros, the 94 and 95 Rockets, the the sheer joy. It's just, if you live here, you know the type of chip that is on your shoulder. Because despite our size, we don't get the national attention that we think we deserve. And it's not just the sports scenes. It's the city as a whole. And so it's just a celebration. There's so, so much joy. And of course, with Houston... It's even more special because Houston, as the most diverse city in America, there's such a blending of cultures anyway. And so when you see people from all different parts of the city, all different walks of life, I would say it's fun anywhere, but it feels especially Houston, given what makes the city unique. And so it's just, it's crazy if you don't like crowds, if you don't like traffic, uh, it's probably going to give you some anxiety, but it's also incredibly, incredibly fun. And I just hope that, number one, we get to do it again, meaning the Rockets or the Astros win a title this season. I'm not throwing the Texans in the mix because come on now. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I hope, number one, we get to do that again. And number two, of course, I hope we, uh, first and foremost have a season because it means the health authorities would clear some form of uh, baseball or basketball. And then secondly, um, that it's clear for people to gather in one place because uh, those parades, the six foot rule is definitely being violated. In many cases, the six inch rule is being violated. So, uh, so we have a ways to go before getting back to that, but hopefully we do because it'd be great. Not just from a sports perspective, but overall, uh, human nature perspective, if we could get back to doing that again. You know, I, I love that. Well, I don't love it. I wish that it was different. But, you know, it's just funny that just, you know, there's this sense of um, everybody kind of joining together in, you know, making the Texans the punching bag because of what's been, you know, going on with that franchise. I, we won't dive too much into it because this isn't Locked on Texans. There is a Locked on Texans. Yeah. You should go check out that podcast. Um, they've definitely covered the uh, DeAndre Hopkins trade in full. You know, lots of reactions there. But, um, you know, Ben, nowadays it it basically, you know, with social media, with the Internet, it feels like everywhere you go you can – you know, you can dip into another team's fandom. You can have these conversations with, you know, opposing fan bases and whatnot, even even accidentally, right? You say the wrong thing on Twitter and suddenly you have an entire fan base at your neck. Yep. But back in the 90s, you know, growing up, was it like, it, you know, was it like that? Like, did you, were there time or was, you know, at least from your standpoint, it was largely everybody around you, were they fans of the teams, you know, here in Houston? Were they fans of the teams in the state? I mean, you know, like I said, you know, nowadays you can pick up your phone and chat with somebody in L.A. about the Lakers and, you know, walk down the street and you see somebody wearing a Sixers jersey or a Boston Celtics jersey or whatever. It feels like there's 
you know, a lot of different fan bases that you can encounter even accidentally on a day-to-day basis now. I wonder if it was like that back then. No, and that's one of the things that we're still adjusting to in the era of social media. I had friends growing up when I went to school in the 90s, especially because I was in Beaumont, not Houston, but I suspect even if you were in Houston, sure, you had fans that hopped on the biggest bandwagons at the time, Jordan and the Bulls, certainly the Cowboys, and it was even more people cheering for the Cowboys because from 96 through uh, 2001, uh, Houston did not have an NFL team at all after the Oilers moved and before the Texans. So yeah, there were lots of people that adopted various bandwagons, especially, I know a lot of people growing up, if you're a teenager, it's sort of hip to crawl on the bandwagon at the time, whatever big is going on nationally, and then people tend to bond a little bit more intensely with the city as they grow older, especially as they develop roots over the years. So um, you definitely encounter some other fan bases, and or fans of other teams, I should say, rather than the fan base itself. But in the 90s, yeah, it was very different because your exposure to other fans was just seeing them on TV. If you saw them when you went to school or people in your community, they generally were nowhere near as hostile as what we see on social media because, and this is something we see every day now, people have a way of saying much more on the internet than they do in person. People bite their tongues when they speak to fans of other teams, but the phrase internet tough guy is there for a reason because people when they're under especially if they're anonymous but even if they use their name if they're saying it behind a keyboard they're going to be more aggressive than they are in person and so that's what's changed a lot is that you have these other fan bases who can find your comments and they will be hostile and they will interact and so that makes it a little bit tougher than the 90s now what was interesting late in the 90s that was when uh, clutch fans was born i started posting Appropriately, my first, I went back and looked, my first Clutch Fans post was in January 2000, and it was after a game in which I thought the Rockets got screwed by the refs. Imagine that. <laughs> I, lo- I love it. Yeah. It's so on brand. But, uh, and how old? I would have been 15 then, because yeah, I turned 16 in January 2000. Um, so yeah, 15-year-old Ben going off on the refs. But yeah, even in the early days of the internet, before social media, we tended to gravitate towards people that were in our own bubbles to use the buzzword of the day with regards to the NBA and sports. But, you know, we had these message words, people with very common interest, in this case being Rockets fans. Now that you're having these more universal Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, it's easier to have crossover, and so it lends itself to more back and forth. And I'm sure there are some that are saying, well, you know, that's good, because if you're in your bubble, you're just constantly getting reinforced from people that are like you. Yes, you can take it too far, but the flip side is that while getting some pushback is healthy, you also need your pushback to be reasonable, aka what would you say to a person's face? What would you say if you interacted with them at the grocery store or at church or at school, whatever it may be? So that's where today's society it just goes a little bit uh, further. You see these fan bases. It wasn't that they didn't exist in the 90s, but you encountered them in a much different capacity. These days, With social media, yeah, there's a lot more nastiness. I'm not sure how you clean it up, but I would just, you know, what I urge to everybody, and the same goes for myself, for Rockets fans as well, whenever you say something, if you feel the need to uh, go in somebody's mentions that aren't tweeting you from another team, try and whatever you say, say it in such a way that it's not night and day different from what you would say if you saw the person in real life. 
I think that's kind of a fair guide, and too often people violate that. And yeah, that's the big difference in 2020 compared to, say, 2000. Many, 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 many years, hopefully, down the line, when you pass away, Ben, we're going to have to try and find a way to get the referees to be the pallbearers at your funeral <laughs> so that they can let you down one last time. Yeah, I, I forgot who it was. Somebody uh, tweeted me last night, just a gold tweet. I don't have it up right now, but basically saying that they wish that they wish a Houston team was getting screwed by the refs just so that they could see a Ben rant about it, that it was preferable to the status quo. And I had to, <laughs> yeah, and, and I had to laugh and I agree. I would take getting Scott Foster to over not having Swartz for at least a couple of months and hopefully not much longer than that. We'll keep things rolling along with Ben here in just one moment so you guys don't go anywhere. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we are back in here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, continuing the conversation with Rockets Wire editor Ben DuBose. So kind of I want to circle back a little bit because you mentioned this earlier, talking about the 93 Rockets postseason series against the Seattle Supersonics, where they came up short, where they had the chance to potentially, you know, the next round face the Phoenix Suns. And then maybe we would have gotten the uh, Hakeem Jordan finals that everybody, you know, dreamed of. But on the flip side, you know, post back-to-back championships, we were also robbed of the Jordan-Hakeem finals because of the John Stockton three-pointer, the game six. You know, that's all, you know, everybody should be well familiar with that at this point. So I want to go down this rabbit hole. Let's say that that three doesn't go in, right? Let's say the Rockets win game six. They come back home. They win game seven. They make it to the finals. Well, game seven seven would have been in Utah. Oh, it would have been in Utah. Hang on. What was game, the format like back then? It, it was still 2-2-1-1-1. So game six in Houston and then game seven. Uh, it, it only went to 2-3-2 two, two for the finals. So the Western Conference finals, yeah, it was still 2-2-1-1-1. Two, two, one, one, one. I'm all mixed up. My apologies. I haven't had coffee yet this morning, so, yeah, they so you got you to forgive me. Yeah, so they would have had to go back to Utah, but doable. I mean, they won plenty of big games in Utah in the 90s. So we'll go down this rabbit hole, though. So let's say they do make it to the finals. How do you think that finals plays out? The 96 finals, hypothetically, Rockets Bowl. 97? Hang on, hang on. Why yeah, am I getting all mixed up here? 96 was when they got swept in the second round by Seattle. And then, because they avoided Seattle, their two championship years, they got swept in the second round by Seattle in 96. And that's what made them uh, make the big trade for Barkley because they felt like that the group that they had was just not going to be able to get past Seattle. And so they traded for Barkley, Ori Cassell. That trade was not fully embraced at the time, but Barkley did get them past the Sonics in the 97 second round, and then that's what set up the uh, 97 conference finals against the Jazz. And there we go. Th- See, I'm getting a history lesson. This is good. This is yeah. good as a young and, Rockets fan. <laughs> and, and by the way, by the way, an, another little thing that uh, no one talks about, everybody goes back to 97 Rockets-Jazz. And yeah, they were close, and they get a game seven, if not for um, Stockton's three at the buzzer. Also, Clyde Drexler, God, he should have. What had happened before that, the Jazz had come back to tie the game, but the Rockets got the ball, tie game with 22 seconds left. Clyde did not take the last shot. 
he shot early with like four seconds, which is what gave the Jazz the opportunity. So at a bare minimum, it should have been overtime, but Clyde shot early for whatever reason. Um, Barkley got bear hugged on a screen from Carl Malone, and uh, Stockton buried the three. But what people don't talk about, also Rockets Jazz, so 98, I forget what the Rockets record was in 98, but they were clearly on their last legs. That was Clyde Drexler's last season in the NBA. Hakeem, Barkley, they had started their declines. So it was very much an aging team. But, and they ended up being the eighth seed that year. But in the 8-1 matchup, Rockets-Jazz, the rematch, and this was a best of five back then in the first round, the Rockets went up 2-1, and they were up double digits in game four to close out the top-seeded Jazz, who of course went on to the NBA Finals. That was the year that Jordan hit it over uh, Brian Russell in the closing seconds, his last shot with the Bulls, the eighth-seeded Rockets should have knocked out the Jazz in the first round. It should have been, you know, like those 2013 Celtics who were on their last legs and nearly beat Miami. But what ended up happening after they were up 2-1, got up 10 points in Game 4, which would have been the closeout, uh, Barkley tore his triceps. Barkley was huge for them against the Jazz, and, and they just did not have nearly enough talent after Barkley went out with the triceps. And so the Jazz won in Houston to get it back to Salt Lake City for Game 5, and they won Game 5, which which was the last game of uh, uh, Clyde Drexler's career. And that was basically the end of the Rockets as far as that era. They did sign Scottie Pippen in the following offseason, but that was a failed experiment on a number of levels. And then from there, you had the rebuild, starting with Steve Francis and Catino Mobley. Anyway, to get back to 97, because I know that was the point, um... Not that it would have been easy to win the Game 7 at Utah, but if they had, they would have had a shot. But what people forget a little bit about the 97 Rockets, and it's for the sake of the narrative. We talk about this with other fan bases, but boy, does it happen everywhere, including with the Rockets. Charles Barkley in 97 was really, really good. There was some fall-off in 97. Hakeem Olajuwon, still very good but he was not the Hakeem Olajuwon of 94 and 95. He had, be- he had begun his decline. Barkley helped mitigate that. So while if they had gotten to play the Bulls in 97, they would have had a shot, I don't think it would have been an e- The ideal time for the Rockets to play the Bulls would have been anywhere between, I would say, 91 and 95. The 97 Rockets, and we can throw 98 in there as well when they're on their last legs, they were a little bit more dependent on Barkley if you look back at that game six against the Jazz, a lot of Houston's late possessions were run through Barkley because he was still really good. And it was kind of telling that Hakeem was willing to defer a lot in that situation. He knew he wasn't quite the same guy as he was a couple of years ago. Perhaps the mileage from all those deep playoff runs played into that. But the reason I'm slightly less bullish on like the 97-98 Rockets against the Bulls, because Hakeem wasn't as great. Now, Barkley helped make up for that. He was still really good. I know a lot of folks don't like the trade because Robert Ory, Sam Cassell, you know, these are championship heroes. But Charles Barkley, I know he said some bad things about the Rockets, and that plays into it. That's why the narrative, people try and act like that, you know, that wasn't a good move for the franchise. No, it was a really good move. Charles Barkley was a really, really good player. But... Within the confines of the matchup against the Bulls, he's a little more traditional, and the Bulls did beat teams with dominant power forwards, Sean Kemp and the Sonics, obviously Carl Malone and the Jazz. So the Rockets sort of led by Barkley. I don't think it's quite the same matchup advantage as 91 through 95 when Hakeem was arguably the best player on the planet. Now, with that said, it's not impossible because Hakeem, number one, was still very good, and secondly, 
in a seven-game series, maybe Hakeem could have tapped into the fountain of youth and gotten to a higher level uh, in one series. But at face value, I tend to think the 97 Bulls would have had a better shot than, say, the 93 or 94 against the Rockets, just because the way the Rockets were constructed, the, the reason Houston had such a matchup advantage against Chicago was Hakeem against the likes of Bill Cartwright, Bill Winnington, Luke Longley, these just endless parades of random stiffs that Chicago threw out there at the center position that were no match for Hakeem. It still would have been in the Rockets' favor in 97, but it would not have been, in my opinion, as tilted as it was a few years earlier. So possible, but I wouldn't go as far to say that the 97 Rockets definitely would have won. Okay, okay. And I've got one more rabbit hole hypothetical for you. And this was even before your time, but... And I want to I want to make sure I'm remembering this correctly. But wasn't there like a trade that was in place that could have happened that would have netted the Rockets the yes. second overall pick? The Jordan one, you mean? The Jordan, yeah, that one. Yes, there was. Boy, that's the ultimate hypothetical. Yeah. And so here's my question though: Is do you think so? Let let's we play into the hypothetical. They get the second overall pick. They draw, you know, whatever. Hakeem one, Jordan two, or vice versa. However you want to do it. Do they stunt each other's growth? Do you think they're able to still become the players that we know them as today if they're on the same team? That's the big question. Because what people forget, Hakeem was very high usage. And he deserves all of his accolades. He's a top five, top ten player all time. But he needed a lot of touches. Now, granted, we've seen situations in which guys take their usage down a little bit for the betterment of the team. And the talent would have been overwhelming. But part of what made Hakeem so great and set the table for those runs in 94 and 95 was the confidence from being the man all those years. Even though he came in with Ralph Sampson, obviously injury concerns, number one, it didn't last that long. And number two, even when Sampson played, Hakeem was the clear guy. Hakeem and Jordan, I don't want to say it's impossible because certainly you take two of the greatest players ever, you put them on one team. You could have had Clyde Drexler as well, by the way. The talent advantage, that tends to win out in the NBA. We've seen it with the Warriors. We've seen it with the Heat. But in terms of their individual legacies, do they become what they ultimately became being the clear alpha dog in their situations? I don't know. That's a totally fair question. That predates my time a little bit. But um, yeah, that's a really good question. And by the way, I pulled up, if you look at win shares, Hakeem had, and of course he peaked 93 and 94, he had 15.8 and 14.3 uh, win shares, which is pretty crazy. But he was in double-digit win shares in five of his first six seasons, and then he was in the basically in the 15 range from uh, 92-93 through 93-94. So that was when he was at his absolute best. And those were seasons in which I don't even think he was playing with another all-star for the most part. So it does make you wonder. And then as the 90s went along, now it's hard to say how much of it was playing with Drexler and Barkley and how much of it was age. But yeah, you can definitely see the advanced metrics start to slip. That's what I mentioned a few moments ago with the 97 Rockets. Hakeem not having quite the same extra gear that he did in those championship years or in the early 90s. But perhaps part of it is sharing the court, a high usage guy like Hakeem with two other fairly high usage guys like Drexler and Barkley. And so to me, that's the question. On paper, the talent would have been overwhelming. But in terms of the legacies, I don't know that Jordan or Hakeem get to that point 
uh, together just because them clearly being the alpha dog in their teams, that's what led to them, in my opinion, being the killers that they ultimately were with the, one of those two guys winning eight straight titles in the 1990s. Final segment coming up in just a moment so you guys don't go anywhere. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we are back in here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wrapping up our conversation with Rockets Wire editor, Ben Dubose. And before we get you out of here, Ben, I want to hit you with one last set of questions. And, they're, you know, they're not they won't be as you know hypothetical or as, you know, okay. rabbit holy as the previous ones. But I, and I had Michael Connor answer these same questions because I, I think it's a I think it's very maybe not telling is the right word, but I think it's interesting. So I want to know your favorite all time rocket, your favorite all-time non-all-star rocket which includes like no all-star appearances for other teams like per player who's never been an all-star and then your favorite rockets reserve so three of your all-time favorite rockets and i'll give you mine because i i I picked them after michael the other day but i want to give you my examples so my favorite all-time rocket and it was a toss-up between mcgrady and harden because of you know how young i am my, my time spent with the team so i'm going Harden. past that my favorite non all-star rocket Shane Battier, and then my favorite reserve, I picked Carl Landry. So those were my three picks to give you some examples of kind of where I was pulling from. Because Michael Michael struggled to pick the reserve pick, and then he wound up choosing Von Wafer. So yeah, um, I, was say, I was about to say get Craig Ackerman on. I guarantee you he'll pick uh, Von Wafer. Right. So so for using those examples, what where would you go for those three picks? So I, I'm looking up right now. I can't remember if Sam Cassell ever made an all-star team let's look this up real quick uh of course yeah sure 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 i want these picks to be as accurate as possible yeah uh i mean he was very close a few years damn it he did make it in 2004 uh because i was gonna go with cassell that was when he was with the t-wolves right yeah i believe so so yeah he was a one-time all-star with the t-wolves um we actually named one of our cats sam that we found on the side of the road during the 95 playoffs we took him in but uh, i named him sam because i had that much admiration for Cassell. Now, you know, I'm a shorter guy, so I was a guard myself playing basketball, but I just appreciated the fearlessness that Cassell played for. I don't know. We can still count him, I think, because he wasn't an all-star with the he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't year-in, year-out all-star, and it was a one-off appearance. So I, I, we can bend the rules for that one. Yeah, so I would, so I would say, um, yeah, we'll, we'll go with Cassell because I appreciated him growing up. He's my favorite player. Uh, I had his jersey, those types of things. With that said, I still swore to the trade for Barkley because it was pretty clear that, uh, for various reasons, the Rockets in 96 had a big problem getting over the uh, Sonics hump, like we were talking about. So Cassell was my favorite Rocket growing up, loved his passion, his fearlessness, his ability to step up in the uh, biggest moments. Um, I know that a lot of longtime fans are going to hate me for saying this, but I'm going to go with Harden as well for favorite Rocket. I'm not saying that he's better than Hakeem, but I feel like the reason I've bonded a lot with Harden is through the adversity. Like, when I came up with Hakeem in the early 90s, 
not that there was no adversity, but you could clearly see they were on the way up. And then some of my first memories are when they went deep into the playoffs. There was adversity in Hakeem's career, but it was generally in the late 80s before I was fully aware of what was going on. So I didn't go through it. With Harden, what I appreciate, and of course it's amplified some by social media, but we've been through this journey with him over the years. He should already have a ring in 2018, if not for a combination of uh, Chris Paul's hamstring, Scott Foster, yada yada. But I think there's still time for him to get a ring in Houston. Hopefully he does. But I've bonded a lot with Harden just because we've been through the highs, the lows, the struggles together. And that means a lot to me. I'm a big believer that the high points, you appreciate them more when you don't, when you go through the lows. Like, for example, the Rockets runs in 94, 95. You asked me about what it felt like to be there. Yeah, I was overjoyed and I was a kid. But at the same time, it didn't have the same significance beyond not being an adult. It didn't have the same significance to me as the 2017 Astros because I didn't really have the devastation to go back to. Like, with regards to the 2017 Astros, when I went to that parade, and of course, the night that they won it all, the first thing that I thought back to was actually, for example, um, things that went wrong in the 2005 playoffs. Uh, Albert Pujols, Brad Lidge losing the World Series. Um, 2015 ALDS losing to the Royals after having a four-run lead going to the eighth inning, um, being six outs from advancing against the team that eventually won the World Series. And having that happen at home, the trauma of that, that makes it all the better when you do succeed. So we have not gotten to the top of the mountaintop with Harden yet. I get it. But for me, it's about the journeys and sometimes the down periods, even including the game six against the Spurs, the ones that are really bad, that sort of sets the table for when you do have success. And so I just feel like I go with Harden because I've been a part of the journey the whole way. And perhaps me being in the Rockets blogosphere, social media, so we see more of the idiots from other teams. I say that lovingly. Um, all that sort of thing. But yeah, that's why I pick Harden. And then, what's the third one? Remind me. Favorite Rockets reserve. So a guy who largely came off the bench. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good question. I'm thinking thinking It's a tough one. This was the one that Michael really struggled on. Yeah, I yeah, I know that is. And I don't want to pick Landry because I'm not going to pick I really liked him too. I'm not going to copy you with um with two of the three. Let's see. That's totally fair. You know, I the, the Landry pick for me came from a place of, you know, because that was really, you know, I had already because I, I grew up with the, you know, my first memories of the team were with, you know, Stevie Franchise, Katino Mobley, Yao Ming, obviously. And then, you know, I really that's when I fell in love with the team was the T-Mac Yao era, the 22 win streak, the Skolandry years. You know, those were some of my favorite teams and Landry coming off the bench. You know, he was a he was Montrez Harrell before Montrez Harrell. So, yeah. You know what? I'm I'm gonna go modern. I know we joke about him a lot on Twitter, but I'm gonna pick Eric Gordon. Now I know at times this year he started. He did in the playoffs a year ago, but I think a guy who's been a six man of the year, he definitely qualifies. But the reason I bond with Eric and I have a lot of fun with him, pun intended. Everybody knows what I'm referring to on Twitter with that, the Eric Gordon fun meter. <laughs> but this is a guy who consistently has played well in the biggest moments. He's what uh, Sean Pendergast would call a foxhole guy. Eric Gordon, we have seen this time and time again in the playoffs on the biggest stage. He's made a lot of big shots. He should have made the shots that knocked out the Warriors in uh, 2018. 
He stepped up his defense, just ask Donovan Mitchell at times, Clay Thompson. And I appreciate guys like that that have the poise to stay composed on the biggest stage and deliver. And that's something that Eric Gordon has done. And for much of the same reasons, I've sort of bonded with this particular iteration of the Rockets for the same reasons as what I was explaining with Harden. They've kind of been unfairly picked on the narratives. And so going through the highs, the lows, I bond with the guys that have been there throughout the process. Gordon now is one of the longest tenured Rockets. I think he might be the longest outside of Harden. And I just like his composure on the biggest moments. Hopefully he stays healthy. Hopefully they can find him a basketball court because not having a a bucket is not optimal. Although, if it goes on for too long, let's look, he can definitely have a basketball hoop installed at his home. That is not something that requires uh, violating social distancing to install. So worst comes to worst, he can the Rockets can pay him. It's not that expensive. We can figure that out. But uh, yeah, I really appreciate Eric Gordon. And I know he's now 31 years old. I don't know how much of his prime he has left, but he's a guy I've really bonded with. I know it's a recency bias pick, but yeah, I'm going to go with EG. Okay, and you know, I, I kind of, as you said that, I was kind of picturing one of those, you know, those old uh, the Sports Center commercials that were, you know, kind of office themed or whatever. I'm kind of picturing Eric just around the house, just constantly crumpling up balls of paper and shooting them into random objects just to practice his stroke. Just yeah. you know, garbage can here, sink here, you know, laundry basket here. Just one of those random. I don't know. That's the first thing that I thought of. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I'll throw in an honorable mention. I wouldn't say my favorite, but one guy that. I hate that gets forgotten about because of how he acts on Twitter is Eddie Johnson. And Ooh, this is same, controversial, Ben. For much of the same reason as Barclay. We talk about the narratives. So people have a way of framing everything to fit nicely in a neat little package. And that's what happens with Barclay because, of course, he's been critical on TNT. We know after his Rockets career ended, he thought he should have gotten more money from Les Alexander, so he had a bit of a grudge. He's been harsh on the franchise. They didn't win a title with Barclay. And so it's easier for a lot of fans to forget that he was arguably the best player on that 97 team that we talked about the hypothetical matchup with the Bulls. Well, people forget about what actually happened on the court because it's easier to make somebody the hero, somebody the villain. And in this case, because they already don't like him, to say that, hey, the Rockets should have just stayed the course with Cassell, with Ori, and blame the Barkley trade and him for not having enough heart or whatever they want to say uh, as being the reason that they couldn't get over the hump. Eddie Johnson, a smaller scale, but yeah, he was a key reserve, and he hit what was honestly one of the most fun shots, best moments of my childhood, that shot at the buzzer, Game 4, the same series against the Utah Jazz. You go back and watch that game, the chance of Eddie, Eddie, and by the way, I was at that game too, Somehow, I was at back-to-back buzzer beaters. Game four at home, the Eddie Johnson buzzer beater for the Rockets, and then, of course, game six was the John Stockton. So what are the odds? Two straight Western Conference Finals games being won by three-pointers at the buzzer. That is pretty insane. But Eddie Johnson was a guy, at the time, you look back and you watch game four of the 97 Western Conference Finals and the reaction after that shot, the fans chanting, Eddie, Eddie. People loved him. And the irony is that as a three-point gunner, he was ahead of his time. He was a three-point gunner playing for now a Hall of Fame coach in Rudy Tomjanovich who understood the math advantage, the shot chart, so to speak. And so now it's pretty funny that you hear Eddie Johnson saying these things on Twitter, hating on the Rockets for their embrace of the modern three-point revolution. Now, earlier in Eddie's career, 
I think he was a little bit more diversified by the end of his career with the Rockets. He kind of transitioned into just basically being a bench uh, three-point gunner type. But he had a lot of success with the Rockets, including one of the biggest playoff shots in team history, a buzzer beater in the Western Conference Finals. That's a big deal. So not going to say that uh, he's up there with Eric Gordon because he wasn't there that long. I'm looking up how many years did Eddie play in Houston? Uh, 96, 97... Did he come back the next year? I think he did. Yeah, uh, yeah, he played three years in Houston in his career, 96 through 99, although the last year he played just three games. Basically just two years, 97 and 98. He was on his last legs at that point. But uh, yeah, he had a big shot. Fans loved him, even though he was on his last legs. He was the three-point gunner. And so even though he says dumb stuff on Twitter now, if you were a Rockets fan back then, I think you love him, and I'm a guy... I try and look past the Twitter stuff. It's unfortunate, but don't let it taint your memories of what actually happened on the floor. That's a fair assessment. All right, Ben. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking the time to to do this extra long podcast with us today. Um, as per usual, you got your stuff to plug here at the end? Yep. Uh, the Rockets Wire on Twitter, rocketswire.usatoday.com for your Rockets coverage. And if you haven't already subscribed, Rockets Wire Extra is now the podcast. Don't know how many of those will have. But yeah, from time to time during this uh, coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic, we are trying to line up some interviews. Recently had uh, Ben McLemore, Tad Brown, Kaylee Griffin. So not sure who or when our next one is, but if you want to get it right when it comes out, go ahead and subscribe to the Rockets Wire Extra podcast. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Dubose. All right. Thanks a bunch, Ben. We appreciate it. Sure thing. Thank you. And that's going to do it. So hopefully you guys enjoyed our part one and part two conversations with Rockets Wire editor Ben DuBose. As always, thank you all so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back here very soon at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked on podcast ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 